Well, if you are visiting here with us today, and you know it's Mother's Day, and certainly I want to wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day, but also if you're a regular, you know me that I don't tend to preach a Mother's Day message. Um, If we're in a series, we just continue on, and I don't do the same for Father's Day or other holidays um, other than Easter and Christmas. Those ones I kind of feel are, those are a little deviated, and the elders tell me I need to do that so it can keep me straight. But... That being said, this morning, I am going to do something a little bit different. Um, We're going to do 1 Samuel, and we are, if you see the scriptures up there, we are going to get into chapter 16, but I'm going to go back and take a little bit of a look at Hannah, Samuel's mother, and so we're going to look back at her prayer, and so that's why we're looking at chapter 2. No, we're not going to start the whole series of Samuel all over again. That would be a long series. We've been in it for quite a while, and thank you for your patience. And again, we've only been focusing on the life of Samuel, and we're not even going to finish all of 1 Samuel, and we're certainly not going to go into 2 Samuel, because it expands a long time in history. And we lose that sometimes, and we look back to Scripture, we think it all happened right in a short amount of time, and it's not. It's spread out over years and hundreds of years, and so um, it covers a lot of time. But the life of Samuel has been an interesting one, and if you've been with us, we know that Samuel is the last judge, right? And he's the, the, the transition guy, if you will, to the next era, to the time of the kings. And certainly the Lord is the king, and they're the one that Israel should be following, but God allows them the freedom in that to choose, and they choose for themselves a king, and that's where we were last week. But interesting enough, if you remember way back when we did look at chapter 2, I don't know if you remember this or not, and again, as I was studying this week, 2 Samuel and Hannah's prayer, even though it's at the very beginning, Samuel's just starting his life, it really foretells the whole story of Israel through that time period, all in that little prayer. And again, God inspires that prayer. It made our scriptures. And so it's interesting how Hannah's prayer, and then when you go back and look at it, and if you have all the history that we've been gaining as we've been reading through Samuel and working through it, the ups and downs, right? The unlikely characters that we've seen, right? And and Israel's struggle, right? From chasing after donkeys to finding donkeys to, you know, to killing donkeys last week even, so... um, if you don't know what that is or just visiting, I encourage you to go back and read through Samuel. You'll see the donkeys have been part of our joke as we've been going through it. But there's not only been, obviously, the Israel's faith, but also we've seen Samuel grow, right? Samuel grew in his faith under Eli. Even though Eli was not the best example for him, Samuel still followed God and rose up through that. And through that, God uses Samuel over and over again to point them to God. Now, what's been the constant through all of this? Who's been the faithful one through all of this? God. You guys are a little slow this morning. I think a little bit. I had to work for that one. Again, the regular guys, you should know this by now, right? I can hold out for a long time waiting for that answer, right? God's been the faithful one. Old Testament, over and over again, and, and obviously into the New Testament, God is always faithful, even though we are not always faithful. Our faithfulness is not dependent on God's faithfulness. God wants that, but that's, God is faithful no matter what. 
And God always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And he uses unusual and unlikely people. And in many ways, Samuel is that person as well. And later on, he uses Saul. And then we'll see in 16, there's going to be a new character or a new king on the rise. Two, someone I think name of David, I believe. So, all right, chapter two. Like I said, for today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go back for mothers. And again, it's a prayer. And, and God honored the prayer of Hannah. Hopefully you remember the story, the, the two wives, right? The, the inner battle in between the household. That's not a good idea to have two wives. Uh, that doesn't work well. Uh, there was conflict. One had children, one didn't. And Hannah finally cried out to the Lord, and God answered her prayer. And she gave a son. She made a vow, and she turns him over unto the priest's unto the service of the Lord. And here's her prayer afterwards, her prayer of praise. Some call it even a song because of the way it's written. It's very similar to Mary's prayer and Elizabeth's prayer. They have that same um, format to them and, and similar. And it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies and I delight in your deliverance. Who's the focus here? God, right? Hannah's got it right. God, she is focusing on God, right? Not only her circumstance, but she's focusing on God and God answering her prayer. It said year after year, she had gone up to that temple and prayed for a child. And God gave her what her prayer, and it was answered, a son. And so she, her heart is rejoicing. One of the, the tidbits as I was going back through and looking through my notes, and I, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, and I probably did, but, but Hannah is also in the line of David, which we'll see in chapter 16. It's kind of cool how that connection, right? But also not only David, but in the line of Mary. So Hannah is, if you trace that back, Hannah is part of that, part of that lineage, um, it's interesting, like, again, God holds that thread through not only Israel, but also the line of David. And again, pointing towards the coming king, which is what we're looking for today. And the Lord, the horn, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemy. I delight in your deliverance, your salvation, right? Delivering from her situation, but deliverance for the nation of Israel as well. And even our deliverance today is based, obviously, on God. Verse 2 says, there is no one holy like you, Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. That, that foundation, right? That foundational belief, that holy God, that reverence that we are to have for him. Hannah gets that here in her prayer, right? And that's what we build everything off from, our faith. Our faith in God. Likens it also to, to even to, to Job, right? When Job's distressed, when he comes out of it, and God talks about him being the foundation, the rock. Scripture does that. It kind of builds off each other and circles back often. Then into her current situation, right? Verse 3. Remember what she came out of, the, the situation with the two wives and the being you know, looked down upon by Panna. It says, Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. Right? That situation she had, right? She was in, in constant being picked on and, and feeling less than. 
because she didn't have children. He's reminding and praising back to God. And, and a warning for all of us as well, right? We have to be careful about how we speak, right? Our pride could get in the way. God's the one that knows our heart. He knows the, the, the depths. He knows our motivation, our deeds. I was doing another study. and There's an area of ministerium that gets together monthly, and we've been working through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is rich in that. And it, it was talking about in Proverbs 20, as we were studying this week, it, it was talking about the, the weights and how important it was to, to have accurate measures. Right? God detests them. It's an abomination to have dishonest scales. But it says God is the one who knows the heart. He knows the motivation. He weighs them out fairly. So let's go along with that as well. But keeping that humility in our words. Verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Again, as we've been working through 1 Samuel, we've seen over and over again, right? Israel is constantly having battles, right? They they're always have enemies. They have enemies on every side, right? The Philistines, the Amalekites, the, the Canaanites, they're, they're, any ites that are around them are always battling, it seems, right? They're always there. And Israel is most often outnumbered or outstrength, right? They are always the underdog, humanly speaking. But with God, they come through victorious. When they do it without God, different result, right? And so it gives encouragement here, right? It's that reversal. And we see that over and over again, the, the reversal of even the people that, the, that think that they should be victorious, right? Remember Saul the king, right? He was handsome. He was of good stature. He, he looked the part, but yet he failed them, Right? He's not the one that they, chapter 16, when we get there, not the one that God wanted. See that in chapter 16, when we get there. Verse 5 says, Those who are full hire, hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren was born seven children, but she who had had many sons pines away. Again, back to her circumstance. And we know from the text that, that Hannah actually goes on, not only Samuel's not her only child, but she ends up having kids afterwards. Her womb is open, and it just continues. God blesses her abundantly. We, we talked about what a sacrifice that must have been, right? You finally get that first child, and then you, you're giving it away. You're, you have a, a long-distance relationship with him. He's not directly under your care. That had to be a heartbreak in many ways for a mother to, to do that, but she kept her commitment. She made that vow before God. And God honored that and blessed her with more children. And so she had even more. And I like to say that last part of that sentence, that she who had many sons pines away. I think that's a little, little bit of Hannah coming out there, right? A little, little dig to, to the other wife, right? You're getting old, I mean, is what she's saying here. I'm, I'm being rejuvenated because I'm still having kids and you've stopped. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I know nothing about having kids. I'll make that disclaimer right now. I, I, you know, when I see pregnant women, I do not know what I understand. I don't know labor birth pains or any of that stuff. Men, that's a piece of marriage advice. You can take that uh, to the bank, right? We have no idea what it's like. Don't try to compare it. I've, I've not found that to go well. That one's free. Wasn't in my notes either. So, verse 6. 
says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Right? Basically the sovereignty of God. God is the one that's in control. Great right? theological sounding doctrine in this, just that, that couple of sentences there. Right? God's the one that brings death and he also makes life. Right? He's the, the author and the creator of life. He determines our days. He determines what lives, what dies, and at what time. It's not by accident. It's not by our own hand. It's by God himself. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. And I think of that Proverbs again, again, because I've been in Proverbs, right? But it, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? You know, sometimes it doesn't seem fair from our human perspective, right? Someone who's doing evil gets rich, and they're doing well financially. And we, well, I, I mean, I wish I had some of that money, or, or if I had that Boat. I'll, I'll, use, I'll do that fishing boat. I did not get out on the water. I did not fish yesterday. Um, I'm okay. I'm all right. Don't worry. I'll get out this week. So many of you have asked, and I appreciate the concern. But God is the one that's in control, right? He is sovereign. He's the one that, that does this. He's the one that's in control. And again, He is the one that's faithful. We can trust in Him. We don't have to right all the wrongs, we don't have to fix all those things. Trust the Lord. It goes on in verse 8. He, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats him with princes and has him inherit a throne of honor. There's great hope in that, right? No matter how we're feeling or where we're at, right? God sees us. And God's the one that can lift us up. It's him who we are serving. Him who we are following. This next one is right out of Job's, really. It's for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. Right? Job and God had that conversation. Ernie, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you did Job and you did a lot of study on it, right? But, but Job kind of messed up a little bit. He got up and he kind of thought he was bigger than God, and God sent him straight. He says, where were you? Right? Where were you when I set the foundation of the world? Right? Go easy, Job. <laughs> Put him in Charlie's term, Right? Again, a great truth. God is sovereign, right? He's, he's been there from the beginning. It says, He, God, will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Right? Again, God's the one. Protection. We have that protection. Scarlett mentioned that this morning. I, I wasn't even looking at Ephesians. That was nowhere in my study this week. And I, I love that passage, and I've taught on it many times, and um, about standing firm, right, with the full armor of God on. And again, that ground is God's ground, right? Sometimes we, we need that reminder, right? We're standing only on Him. That's where our foundation is. But God's the one that's in control. God's the one that will protect us. And Israel needed that, right? They, they, they saw that over and over again where they, they had to rely upon that because it didn't always look very good. Their numbers were, were small. They were few. They were not the greatest warriors. They didn't have the greatest um, armor or they didn't have the greatest tools for battle quite often. They were, and they needed help from the Lord in order for them to even survive. And as long as they relied on God, they were fine. 
Verse 10 says, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from, from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Right? He is the judge. He's the one that knows the outcome. He's the one that uses whatever he needs for his promises to come through. We see often in the battles, right? He would even use creation itself. He would cause a rain, a great flood, cause confusion among the armies, their enemies, right? God was in control. He was watching over Israel. He was protecting them. And then lastly, he says, he will judge to the ends of the earth, right? He's the one that sees the heart. He makes my judgment on them. He's the only righteous one. He's the only one qualified to make that judgment. And then lastly here, as we close out Hannah's prayer, it says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's interesting, as I was studying back through this, and I looked at this verse a couple different times, it says, he will give strength to his king. Think about the time frame, right? The time frame, Hannah, when Hannah makes this proclamation, there are no kings. They're not looking at kings. The only one that have kings is the other nations, but Israel has no earthly king. Yet here in her prayer, is inserted this, it says, he will give strength to his king. Right? And we know the battle, right? We know the struggle that went on between the people and Samuel and God over this king, their first king, Saul. We spent a, a number of last three weeks coming up to that point, and we see where Saul started out good, right? Following God, and God was with him, and he had some victories, and then he, he started to falter, and then it gets, starts to get pulled away from him, and then he gets further and further away from God, and now it's being ripped from him, right? Samuel and him separate. They're no longer together. Saul is no longer following God, and he's following his own strength, and God has started to reject him. And like we said, it took a process for Saul to get into that spot just the same way as it's going to take a process to get him out of there, and there'll be the same process in getting David to the next king. But it is God who gives strength to his kings, right? So now, with that as a backdrop and Hannah's beautiful prayer here for her son, Samuel, and for the nation, we go back to chapter 16, or go forward to chapter 16. Like I said, we have the, the rise now of a new king. And again, Saul and Samuel have departed from each other, right? They've separated ways. They no longer can hang out. Samuel's retired. Remember that retirement speech, his farewell speech. He retired from his role in leadership, but he still remained the spiritual voice, which Saul should have taken on, but didn't. And so Samuel has to reject Saul as well. And so we come to chapter 16, which is kind of a sad chapter in many ways. But again, it's a progression. And so Samuel's old at this point. He's at that age of retirement. He's winding down, yet he still is following the Lord. In verse 1 in chapter 16, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Interesting here, that, that mourning and grief, right? You know, Saul's not dead. I mean, Saul's still alive. Saul's still the king. 
But so what is Samuel really mourning here? Right? He's mourning the loss of a relationship, but I think he's also mourning the loss of what could have been, the potential that could have happened, right? Israel could have been a great nation, could have been that light to the other nations, could have done who knows what from that point, could have been great peace in the land. I think Samuel's mourning the relationship with Saul, but he's also mourning what the, could have been the potential, the lack of. You know, as someone who's moved and had relationships broken, that, that, that is a real thing. That, that is a sense of grief and that, that mourning the relationship, right? Or the, the distance when you move and you separate. It, you know, it's still there, but it's not as strong as it used to be. And so there's a grieving process that takes place there. I've taken enough counseling courses and enough work in grief. Uh, I used to work for hospice, I've told you. And, and guess what? Grieving is a process, and it's not defined by any set time. But here God sets a time and says, hey, enough mourning, right? I got work for you to do. I'm not done yet. I've still got a plan. I'm still going to be faithful in this, really, is what God's saying. And so he kind of gives Samuel a, a gentle nudge or a big kick, either way you want to look at it, depending on how slow Samuel is. And Samuel drags his feet a little bit here, but God says, all right, enough mourning, it's time to move on. And he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And again, we know Jesse has many sons. He has a, a number of them, so it's you know, just like Saul was chosen out of a, a bunch, so is the next king. And like I said, he needed a little bit more firm kick here because, you know, verse 2 starts right off with that, that great word, that but, right? And I always say kick because that's usually where that foot ends up in the but to move. <laughs> I, just for me, I don't, maybe it's not for you, but for me, that's usually where it needs to happen. But Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Right? Again, Samuel's not, not in the right place, right? He's not really thinking, right? He's, he's questioning God at this point. And again, it's a true fear, but I mean, Samuel's been through enough at this point. You would think as an older man, well, why are you worried about it at this point? Again, Samuel's not operating in the best here. He's in his grief. He's in his mourning stage. And, and he's, it's a real question, but again, I think he's lost his mourning a little bit, and so he needs a little bit of nudge. And as you see here, the God doesn't take the excuse. He says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate, right? Who chose the last king? People did, right? And why did they choose that king? They wanted to be like the other nations, right? The other kings around them. This one's very different, right? Again, God's moving on his own here, and he's, he's instructing Samuel, hey, this is what I want you to do, right? I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate, God's picking this one, right? God's going to set things straight and get him headed in the right direction. Verse 4, the kick worked. That's what I say. Samuel did what the Lord said. 
And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Do you come in peace? That's an interesting question, right? You know, here's someone who's been a leader over Israel for a long time and been the spiritual leader, and even in his farewell speech, nothing had been brought by blame, right? He was a fair judge. He judged disputes correctly. And they're questioning, do you come in peace? Why are you coming, right? You're with Saul, right? You're things, why are you here is what they're asking, and do you come in peace is an is a interesting question. And Samuel's reply is, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Instructs him, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. When he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, right? Get yourself spiritually ready, right? We're going to hear from the Lord. Again, it's, it's gathering them together. It's a, a time of, we're going to hear from God now, right? It's not a physical act, but a spiritual act is what they're looking for here. They want to hear from God, and Samuel's just the, the messenger, but the expectation is God is going to arrive and show them what's next. Verse 6, when they arrive, Samuel saw Elab and thought, surely the Lord anointed stands here before the Lord. He sees, again, Samuel doesn't know, right? He's, he's waiting on God, and so he sees probably the oldest son, most consider the, that they go in order, and so the eldest son comes. That, again, humanly speaking, that's who you would think to, to be the next leader, the next king. But nope, it's not him, right? Says, no, do not even consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This next verse is key here. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He said, this is a key verse, and, and one of you, you don't get anything else out of this morning, grab this verse, because we quite often will do the same thing, right? We make quick assessments when we see people. Again, it's perfectly natural. We do. We, we, we assess people as we see them. And again, it's not always wrong, but we got to be careful, right? We got to be careful that we don't go beyond what we see and start looking at people's hearts. I said this over and again. This is where we get in real trouble as we try to determine people's hearts and their motivations, whether they're saved or not. We can't get involved in that. We are terrible at it. We are totally unqualified to do that. The temptation that comes. But we do, when people walk in for the first time, we do make assessments, right? I've mentioned a few times I was a police chaplain. I even went through some training, and, and they, if you've ever worked with police officers or been in that, they always sit at the, the, with a wall behind them so they can see everyone coming in because they're constantly assessing. Is this a threat or not a threat? Is a, you know, am I going to have to move into action or not? And they would look for certain features or certain characteristics, right? And they would identify, or today we'd say profile, and again, make an assessment. Well, that training comes somewhat naturally, and we do the same thing, right? When someone walks into a room or we meet someone for the first time, we quite often do a quick assessment. Again, on the outside, that's fine, and if we keep it there, but we can't go beyond that and start judging their heart. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. And again, only God is the one that can look into the heart. He sees the heart for what it is. 
He sees those corners, those hidden things deep down in our soul. And so God's looking at the hearts for his next king. So then Jesse calls Abinadi and has him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. All right, so there's two, two gone by the wayside. Nope, not them. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Whew, seven times. Nope, 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 nope. Don't want any of those. All right. Says the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have, right? I've seen seven. <laughs> Is there an eighth out there somewhere? Because we've, you know, as far as I can see, we've run out of sons to be able to be, be in the line here, to be judged. Interesting, he says, Jesse goes, yeah, there is still the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. Man, it's so rich, right? Jesse, you know, the, the one that's going to become the king is the one that's the sheep herder. He's the one that's out with the, the sheep. He's out there. He's the youngest. He's not even in the, in, as part of the family, right? They left the youngest one behind, right? He's, he's out. He's got an important job to do, but he's not even there being consecrated. He's not there part of the service. He's not part of the feast. All that comes with that sacrifice. He's not even there. He's, he's out in the fields. Kind of forgotten about in many ways. Out tending the sheep, working hard. Samuel says, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I guess stand up for a while, probably, because again, the sheep aren't right next door. They're out there a ways, right? Again, there's no quick text in him. Hey, David, come on in. I'm, you know, I'm sending one of my brothers out. Right? No email. No, it's, no, it's a, a run out and a run back. And so, but they're going to wait. They're going to stand and wait. I think that the standing also represents, uh, hey, waiting on the Lord, but we're also, we're going to be patient here, right? And so he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. I don't know about you, but I find that kind of interesting, right? Because we've been talking about how the, the outer appearance, right? We're talking about not judging that, yet his appearances were glowing. And he was healthy, right? He was a strapping young man at this point. It doesn't mean that he's disqualified before, because of that, right? But again, he's the youngest. He's not the likely candidate. Again, culturally, they would take the oldest. So to go all the way down to number eight, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. But yet, he's a fine-looking young man as well. I also liken this, right? No matter how you, you have to get around it, right? But a leader has to have somewhat of an attraction, right? Somewhere, at least something to draw people, right? To follow. And so having that's going to be a benefit for him, but it's not a qualification for him. You catch what I mean there. It says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one, right? And so Samuel does what he's told, right? He anoints, took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went on to Ramanah, right? Now, if you remember, right, when Saul was first anointed, he was following God. The, the, the Spirit came on Saul very strongly, right? 
And so he had the same start as David, but if you know the story, they end up in two very different places in history as we look back, right? From an earthly standpoint, David is the king that, that's always pointed to. Saul, we don't, other than when we're reading through, Saul's not the one that they compare him to, right? They compare every other king from David on back to David. Although he's not as good as David, or he, he was like David in many ways, but not quite. Now, David wasn't perfect, right? God uses imperfect people, and people make mistakes. But again, David's going to have something that Saul didn't have, and that's a heart, right? The heart of God. And so God is equipping him just like he did Saul. He's given him that power. Although it says here powerfully, right? So something, there's a drastic change from this point on in David. And as we know from the rise of Saul, right, it doesn't happen immediately. It's not like, you know, today Saul's done and David's in. There's a progression. It takes time. It takes some, some more action, right? Saul's not done yet as leader. In fact, Saul is still the king, even though David's been anointed. David's not recognized yet. He's recognized by God and his family, and I'm not sure how that worked out in the family dynamics. I mean, I can only imagine having seven older brothers. That probably didn't always go that well, and uh, I'm sure there was some, some scratching of heads, uh, even in the family. Like, how did that happen? I would encourage you this week to kind of look on and kind of read on the story, because we're not going to cover it. Again, we've been focusing on Samuel, and we're going to continue to focus on Samuel. Um, next week will be the, the last of the series, and we'll focus on the end. Samuel's actually going to pass away. And then there's an interesting passage that we'll look at where Samuel speaks from the grave. Yes, that's a teaser if you want to look it up, but it's a few chapters down the road. It's an interesting passage, but it's in Scripture, and so um, as you know your pastor, he's going to cover it. He's not going to skip over it if we're going to study the whole life of Samuel. So we're going to take a look at that next week. But if you want to look at Saul's demise and David's rise, you'll have to do that on your own because we won't be covering that. But on Mother's Day, what can we take from this morning? Right? On this Sunday, what can we take from this morning for us that's going to help us in this week? God answers prayer, definitely. He answered the prayer of a mother, right? A lowly mother answered it. Mothers should pray for the children, right? Yeah, that's important. I'm a byproduct of that, my mother praying for me. So praying for your children, that's definitely a, a takeaway, right? And who is the one that's faithful? Never forget that one, right? God is always faithful. He is always faithful. And God uses the unlikely, right? God sees the heart. And the other one that is just kind of a, a caution for us all is to be careful when we make those assessments, right? When we make those quick judgments, right? Remember who's really in control of judging the heart, right? God is. We're not qualified to judge the heart. So bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for our time and the scriptures this morning, Lord, and the richness that's there. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your watching over us, Lord. And as there are many things that we can take from this and take into our week, Lord, help us in our interactions with others. And Lord, help us as 
as parents and as mothers, especially this morning, Lord, that we be committed to prayer, that we pray over our children and our, our grandchildren, or we are so blessed, Lord. Or, and if we are future mothers, Lord, uh, pray for that. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would answer those prayers, that you would give us peace in those decisions, that you would walk with us. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to be faithful in the things that you've called us to do, and that we'd be obedient in your name. Jesus Christ. Amen.